Sometimes life gets overbearing I'm sure the church could agree it's true Trials can come unexpectedly Hold on to his hand God gave us these promises Blessed are the poor in spirit I was a sinner. I was far off from God. And out of your great love, you sent Jesus down to save me. Now, I, I think that's, that's one rule on Jesus that we can reflect on this holiday season. Um, but it's not, it's not the only rule. And, and I think many of us, when we read the scriptures, we look at Jesus almost entirely exclusively as the Savior, which that would not be wrong, that would not be heretical, that would just be incomplete. It would just be incomplete because according to the Scriptures, Jesus is not just the Savior. Jesus, before he hit the scene on planet Earth as an infant, he was already a king. He was already a king. One of the, the most profound shifts in my walk with Jesus was I came to this understanding and this realization that, that Jesus did not just come to save me. Jesus did not just come to bring us to heaven. Jesus came to bring heaven to earth. Because when we understand that Jesus is a king, we understand he didn't just merely come to save us, but he came to establish a kingdom. Our rule it's not just to make sure people are saved. Our role is to bring heaven to earth. In fact, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, how will it be thy, how will it be thy name? Your kingdom come, your will be done. And so we have to understand if we're reading the scripture through this lens, what kind of king is Jesus? But I can tell you this, it's the story of Jesus is not a rags to riches story. This is not an American dream thing. Jesus didn't come as a servant and all of a sudden he said, okay, maybe I'll invest in this Apple stock in the 80s and then get rich. Maybe I'll create a streaming service that everyone will subscribe to and pay monthly fees, right? Like Jesus didn't have a come up story because he was already in the come up 
my wife got me watching this document. Oh my goodness. <laughs> my wife got me watching this documentary on Netflix about Prince Harry. And she hasn't, which every show she picks out, I'm like, uh, like I'm just, just waiting for the show to be over. But, you know, people like, <laughs> oh, Prince Harry is like, Jesus, because he left the royal family to, to, to go to, no, he wasn't, because he just left a life of luxury to go to another life of luxury. Jesus isn't freaking Prince Harry. It's a dumb comparison. If you're in your mind, if you're watching Netflix and saying, wow, Prince Harry, this is so, this is so like Jesus, because he left the royal family to, to move to a mansion in Canada and get paid for a Netflix series. It's not Jesus, but we know that he is a king, and he was a king, and not just some worldly king. Two distinctive characteristics of the kingdom of heaven. We know this, that Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. We know this because on trial, Pontius Pilate asked him, if you're a king, where is your kingdom? And Jesus answers him and says, if I had a kingdom here on earth, my servants would come and fight for me, but my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. Not only is that a a, a literal statement, but it also means the values of my kingdom are not your values. The, the, The system of my kingdom is not your system. And so there's a reversal of of sorts of things of the kingdom. And so like Jesus says, the first will be last and the last will be First, there's a, there's a reversal of, of systems, right? Like it's a, it's a space and a culture permeated by the presence and goodness and mercy of God. And then we find out elsewhere in scriptures, not only is this kingdom not of this world, but the citizenship, the citizens who dwell within this kingdom are also not of this world. Which leads us to, to these beatitudes that we've been talking about. The Beatitudes are this. They are the distinct characteristics of those who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. They are distinct characteristics of those who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Does anybody remember? I'm going to go through the whole list of the Beatitudes. But let's let's quiz y'all. What is the first Beatitude that Jonathan talks about in week one? Blessed are the... Week one, week one, you can't answer. <laughs> blessed are the poor in spirit. Then blessed are the, right, and then blessed are the, actually, I don't think meek is next. No, no, no. Blessed are those who mourn, and then blessed are those who meek. Here's the exhaustive list of all the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek or the quiet and the gentle. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. And blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake, the namesake of Jesus. Jonathan just mentioned during the announcement the word blessed. Maricos, is that how I say it? I'm not a Greek scholar. Okay. Okay, anyway. This, this word up here, this M-A-R, there you go. Uh, it means the, those who are happy or fortunate, and, and particularly those who are happy or fortunate because they found favor with God. Doesn't this fly in the face of the prosperity gospel? Doesn't, like, when we think about the favor of God, 
Like, it's not connected to what you have. It's not connected to how loved or how liked you are. It's not connected to your step. Wait a minute, Billy. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait. Are you saying that my job promotion is not because the favor of God is on my life? Are you saying that my, my godly relationship is not because the favor of God is on my life? No, no, I'm not saying that. It might be. It might very well be like your promotion, your come up. Your, your financial blessing very well might be because the favor of God is, in your, is on your life. What I am saying, though, is there's no direct connection in Scripture. In other words, there's not a pipeline of because you have a lot of something or because you have a certain level of status that it equates to you being, uh, you having the favor of God on your life. In fact, the Scripture, Jesus would be so blunt to tell us that you could gain the entire world and lose your soul. There's other portions of the scripture that says, although they had nothing, they had everything. And so the, the, the reality of the kingdom is not because you are, are, are possessor of, of many material items, not because you had a, a, a worldly come up. The favor of God is on your life because of these qualities, because of these characteristics that are found in the Beatitudes. So let's jump in. I'm going to pray, and we're going to hit the scripture for today. Jesus, I love you so much, God. Thank you for each and every person in here. I pray that you let me speak forth uh, with boldness and confidence that your Holy Spirit would settle my crazy beating heart right now, Lord. I pray that you would move in the lives, God, of each and every person in here. Would no seed fall on rocky soil? Would no seed fall on hard soil? But would it fall in, into people's hearts, God? And would you grow it and multiply it into a harvest a thousandfold? And I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Matthew 5, chapter 6. This is the beatitude we're going to be talking about today. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. In order for us to really gain understanding into what this verse means we've got to start somewhere and so I want to start with the word righteousness I know that the sermon title is blessed are the hungry that's just for uh, uh, to make it thematic so it can match with the other sermons but hungry in it of itself is is not enough to be blessed there's got to be something connected to the hunger. And, and what we see in this passage of Scripture is the thing that's attached to the blessing is the object of what you're hungering for. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So in order for us to understand this passage, we have to have some sort of comprehension. We have to have some sort of idea on what righteousness is. Righteousness would mean right standing or right relationship with God through Christ. Now, all throughout the scriptures, we hear the word righteousness used in in various ways, in various settings. So I'm going to just throw a couple of scripture verses out to you regarding righteousness. Isaiah 64, chapter 6 says this, but we are all like an unclean thing and our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Romans 3, 10 through 12. As it is written, there is none righteous, not one. There is none who understands. There there is none who seeks after God. They all have all turned aside. They have all together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. 
Matthew 5.20, Jesus speaking, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It is my belief the writers of Scripture are trying to paint a picture. Uh, the, the picture they're trying to paint for us is if you think you're righteous apart from Christ, you're living in the matrix. You're delusion, yeah. delusional. You're deceived. Yeah. Uh, Isaiah would go as far to say is your righteousness comparing it directly to filthy rags. And then the apostle Paul says in, in very, emphatic, very emphatically and says it very repetitively, there is no one righteous. And in, in, in a matter of four sentences, he repeats it about 14 times. You know, there is no one righteous. So Isaiah says our righteousness is like filthy rags. And then Paul says that none of us are righteous. And then Jesus directly kind of tells us that there's a kind of righteousness that, that if, you, if you don't have a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, then you won't even inherit the kingdom of heaven. You won't enter the kingdom of heaven. So, so in the Beatitudes, righteousness is a, sort of a pathway to a blessing. But there's this other kind of righteousness that actually serves as a barrier to keep you from inheriting the promises of God. To keep you from entering heaven, it serves as a barrier. So here would be my question. Uh, what is the difference what, what, what is the difference? Jesus tells us directly, there's a difference. And we're left wondering, after we read this verse, that we have to have a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees. We're left wondering, well, what, what the heck is the righteousness of the Pharisees? Guess what, y'all? That's why I get paid the big bucks. Because I'm going to break it down for you. Right? I'm not, I'm not going to leave y'all in the dark. Matthew 23, Matthew 23 really captures this. In Matthew 23, verse 25, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of dead man's bones and every impurity. In the same way on the outside, you seem righteous to people, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. See, the righteousness, the Pharisees, the righteousness that Jesus is talking about is an outward righteousness that is not righteousness at all. It's just arrogance. It's just arrogance. It's not righteousness at all. The righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees was an outward external righteousness based on works. And here's the crazy thing about their righteousness. Even according to their own standards, they weren't righteous. And Jesus had to break it down. Oh, you think you're righteous. But let me bring down, let me break down the fulfillment of the Ten Commandments. You think you're righteous because... You, you, don't, you haven't murdered somebody? Guess what? Guess what, big dog? You got hate in your heart? You're guilty of murder. Jesus had to open up their eyes because they were so arrogant and thought that they had the, the capabilities and the competence and the ability to, to obey the law. Not only the ten, law of the, the ten Commandments, but also the 420 ceremonial laws. They thought that they were walking the upright path. They thought that they were righteous. And what Jesus says is, you might look righteous. Be careful, church, of people that walk, that, that, that appear righteous. Be careful because inside they might be full of hypocrisy. They might be full of lawlessness. Man, I, I want to talk. Uh, let's talk for a minute about the culture because I'm in student ministry and that's what I do. So let Everyone's heard of the, the little phrase "cancel culture," right? We're all we're all like hip to cancel culture. Um, one of the primary things about cancel culture that I think most people are upset about 
is sort of, it's uh, uh, devoid of grace, right? It's like we just want to cancel people. It's, it, it's devoid of grace. And, and I agree with that to some extent. Uh, but at the same time, uh, in, in 2022, when you do things like make racist comments at your job and you lose your job, that doesn't mean that there has been a lack of grace. It just means that you're dumb, right? Like you can't do and say and operate certain things. And so part of cancel culture, in a sense, is about a little bit of accountability. So, so that's not the part in cancel culture that I necessarily have a beef with. The, the, the part in cancel culture that I have a beef, beef with is the arrogance of self-righteousness. It's, it's that we think we have the authority. We, we jump on our, these, these, these CEOs of corporations, these, these high-up individuals. We think we have the authority to, to, to point out the flaw of somebody else when inside I'm full of hypocrisy and greed, but I want to take the time to exploit you. I want to take the time to embarrass you. I want to take the time to post you all over social media. Hey, it's easy. to It's easy. Kanye West is an easy target. The dude is bipolar. He's, he's struggling with some mental health thing. I'm going to just post him. And I'm not saying that what Kanye has said or done recently is, is noble or honoring or, or even God-glorifying. you know God glorifying. But it's easy. We can, we can mass share pictures of Kanye West. We, we, can, we can look at people in the world. We can share them all over our social media. Look at them. Meanwhile, you're talking about specs when you have logs in your own eye. Man. It's such an arrogance, man. I, I, I was watching Nike, man. Nike just uh, Nike just just cut Kyrie Irving from their brand for making anti-Semitic comments, and I think that's that's kind of fair. They they have every right to do that. But when you do a little bit of investigative history on Nike, wh- what you find out is that their shoes were made for for three cents in foreign countries with no child labor laws, where they had forced labor. So you want to cut Kyrie Irving? What, what I want to know is, is the kids in Vietnam that made your shoes for five cents, did you pay them their fair wages? Did you reimburse people, Nike? But you're so concerned about Kyrie Irving. What are you talking about? Like, they just had a lawsuit in 2021 because they were, they were it was about forced labor, right? So, so you want to be the moral high horse, the CEO of the, we don't stand for that. We don't, we don't stand for Kyrie Irving, but, but you're saying you stand for slave labor. Good for you, Nike. There's another brand right now that's been hitting the scene, and that's the, the, the high-end uh, designer brand, Balenciaga. Uh, Balenciaga just cut Kanye from their brand, and that's understandable. A couple days after cutting Kanye from the grand, they posted a Christmas ad campaign. Let me tell you about what was in this Christmas ad campaign. In the Christmas ad campaign were children, and they had backpacks on, and the stuffed animals on the backpacks were, were wearing gear from, say, like, sadomachism gear, right? And so there were documents on the ground of a Supreme Court case that outlawed child pornography. So you have children promoting uh, de- debauchery and sexual sin and sexual pornography, but you're so worried about Kanye. This is the world that we live in, man. We operate in such a level of arrogance. L- let me tell you something, y'all. Righteousness is not linked to us, right? Now more than any time in history, we believe that righteousness and morality are linked to a political party. I don't know how else to say this, but if you voted for, for Biden, th- there are people that voted for Biden that will end up in hell, and there are people who voted for Donald Trump that will end up in hell. Period, point blank. Your righteousness is not linked to a political party. 
The, the Republicans are not the standard for righteousness. The, the Democrats are not the standard for righteousness. The, Nike is not the standard. Balenciaga is not the standard. The NFL, the NBA is not the standard for righteousness. Disney is not the standard for righteousness. There is one standard for righteousness, and it is Jesus Christ. And the, you can clap for that because that's good stuff, man. In the scriptures, what we would find out is that our righteousness isn't even loosely connected. It's intricately, directly connected to the righteousness of Christ. Paul writing, I think it's in Corinthians, but Paul says, in him, we become the righteousness of Christ. Not based on what we do, but based on what he has done for us. So when we say this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness... We're saying is blessed are those who have a deep desire to be in right standing or right relationship with God. I want to read you Matthew 5, 6 from the Amplified Bible because I think it gives us some context um, to better understand what Jesus is talking about here. That's what it says. Blessed, joyful, nourished by God's goodness are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who actively seek right standing with God for they will be completely satisfied. But they will be completely satisfied. Now, it's very clear from this little passage of Scripture that we could actually hunger and thirst for more than food. Because righteousness is not something you could pull up to the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A and order. Babe, I want some righteousness for dinner. <laughs> oh, right. So we see that, that, that hungering and thirsting, um, it has to do with our desires. Hunger and thirst in this context, they vividly express our desires. We are all people with desires. We are all people that have appetites. And with all, within all of us, I think there's this angst. And, and since the beginning of time, philosophers have been trying to figure out this question, like what would make me happy? What would make me fulfilled? What would make me uh, experience true joy? To, to experience, uh, yeah, like I said, true fulfillment. There's an angst inside of us. And we look at, there's a lot of different wells that we drink from. But they don't satisfy us. Um, here's a few of them. Uh, one of them is we think a better version of ourselves will satisfy us. The self-help industry has made millions upon millions of dollars convincing you that a better version of yourself will fulfill you. Well, here's what you find out, man. People lose all the weight. And what happens when they gain back all the weight? Now you have a crisis of uh, identity, right? And even <laughs> the best, according to Isaiah and what I read earlier that our righteousness are like filthy rags, even the best version of yourself, even the version of you that watches six hours of Lifetime movies with your wife, even the version of you that goes to Hobby Lobby and looks at $15 wooden pony trees that are like this big and, and lets your wife get not one, but two of those little wooden reindeers, right? Even that version of yourself. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do those things. Like, it's great. Do, do things your wife likes. Watch, watch Prince Harry's documentary on Netflix with your wife. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But it, it, won't, it won't fulfill you, right? Like, th that's not the standard of righteousness. Even on my best day, it's, it doesn't compare to the righteousness of Christ. I think another thing we, we do to another well that we drink of that doesn't satisfy us is... Uh, we think that our relationship will satisfy us. Um, I tell our kids, this is one of the primary teachings I teach our, our teenagers when it comes to relationships, 
if you get into a relationship before before having a sense of identity in who you are first in Christ, then every one of your relationships becomes your uh, excessive desire to try to complete yourself. That's, That's a really good formula. Hey, I need you to complete me. It's a recipe for disaster, for abuse, for all types of things. But we think, like, if I find the right person, um, I'll be satisfied. And that's, that's another thing that we, that we buy into. Another thing is stuff, man. If I just get enough stuff, yeah. I'll be satisfied. An- another one is religion. If I just, you know, I, I just, I'll just play this church game. I'll go to church and I'll find satisfaction in religion. Now the current trend of self-fulfillment, if you pay attention to the culture today, is... is Authenticity. If you just become what Shakespeare said, be true to thy own self, be true. Yeah. If you're just true to yourself, then then you'll experience authenticity. Uh, me and Jasmine, a few uh, months ago, we went out with one of our students, um, and it, you know, trying to find out this the sense of identity, like who the heck am I? And what I said is like, you know, be careful about when anyone tells you to be authentic, because sometimes the most authentic version of you is. Is tr- it's it will lead you straight to hell. I I, I want to be kind about this. I don't want to like be harsh, but it's like there's these TikTok videos where, where people are like talking to wolves, and they're like, "I'm a wolf. I, I'm a I'm a," <laughs> and I'm like, "What? <laughs> I'm just I'm just being true to myself. I, I'm just being authentic." <laughs> I was in a I was in a class one time, and uh, we were, and it was, it was like a, a middle school choir class, and nobody can sing in middle school choir, but we're and this this little girl makes this like screeching cat noise, like Rah! and I was like, okay, I need you to. We're singing Silent Night, and it, it's killing the vibe of Silent Night. Can you stop? And she said, well, it's it's not me. It, well, it is, let me explain. It's it, it's not me, but it is me, because I have an alter ego of a cat, and I can't control when she wants to come out. I said, I need you to control when she comes out. That's what I need you to do. <laughs> so. Silent night, oh, all is calm, all is... You got to go in the hallway. And she's crying in the hallway. She's crying. She said, I can't believe you would do this. I can't control it. And I said, I, I understand, honey, but it's, it's distracting. I just need you to sit out here, and you and the cat, you're not in trouble. I'm not mad at you, just you and the cat. Like, the, the most authentic version of ourselves. Man, do you know that sometimes the most authentic version of you is a lie? <laughs> like that, that, that you could have an authentic self that is rooted in a lie. Man, we we all have we all have desires. We all have desires, man. And, and if I can put it to you so simply, and if you don't take anything away from this message, get get this little one line. You know, go ahead. Uh, the desires you choose to satisfy determine your destiny. The, the desires that you choose to satisfy determine your destiny. A chapter later in the book of Matthew, Jesus says this, seek first or desire above everything else. Seek first or desire the kingdom of God and what? His righteousness above everything else. If I could sum up this faith walk, what is, what is Christianity about? It's a battle of desires. In fact, I would argue most of the time when you, when you do something that is be, below or beneath the standard of God's holiness, it's not because you didn't know any better. It's because this whole dynamic of there's the kingdom of heaven and it's righteousness and everything else. And something in that moment in your life, you place to everything else above the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's not about, oh, man, I, I don't know that this is wrong. It's about the world becomes more appealing to you. It becomes more attractive to you. 
Christianity is a constant struggle between your flesh and your spirit. The spirit delights in God's law. The flesh hates God's law. The spirit is concerned with the eternal. The flesh is concerned with the temporal. Walking by the spirit leads to life and peace. Walking by the flesh leads to death. What do you do? So what do you do? Well, the Bible tells us that by the spirit, we can starve the flesh. By the spirit, we can put to death the things of the flesh. I had this really encouraging talk with somebody, and, and it was, it's, it's a little win, but it was, it was a significant win. And they said, you know, every night, I, I like to eat these foods late at night. And I had this decision that I wasn't going to eat food no more late at night, and I lost six pounds. I said, let's go. Like, that's, that's incredible. You're like, well, you didn't, you don't have the, you, you didn't lose all, six pounds. What is that? No, but it's, it's those small victories. It's those small victories. By the Spirit, we put to death the desires of our flesh. Has any of you ever been ripped off before? Like maybe you bought a product that didn't deliver or you. I've been ripped off before. I'll tell you this story about a time that I got ripped off. Um, When I was a, a college student, I made this little trip to Israel, and I was on this boat on the Sea of Galilee, and we're singing all these Hebrew songs in in circles, dancing, and there's a little concession stand on the boat, and uh, I see this little prayer shawl that's pretty expensive, Um, and this was before I met Jaslyn, and there was a Jewish uh, woman that wrapped the prayer shawl around my neck and told me that I looked amazing in the (laughs) prayer shawl, (laughs) so... I said, wow. So anyway, during circle dancing, we're singing these Jewish songs. I don't know what that means. It's a Jewish song. And it kept on getting faster. Like, you want to look, Google it. It's a real song. I'm not making that up. But me and the concession stand worker were spinning around in this circle. And she's looking. And maybe this is just my, maybe it's a false interpretation of what was happening. But she's looking at me and I'm looking at her. And we're singing around this circle. And I've got the prayer shawl. And she's got the prayer shawl. <laughs> Just as I exaggerate all my stories. Maybe to an extent. But we're spinning around. And, and I ended up buying the prayer shawl. It was a couple hundred dollars. And I was very content. And then a, a day later, uh, we go to this flea market. And there's a, a dude at the flea market sitting crisscross applesauce. And he has the prayer shawl. My prayer shawl. And it was $13. <laughs> and I just spent $300 on the prayer shop. And I said, excuse me. Um, is, uh, and I tried to find, like, mine has the stamp of authenticity. M- mine was signed by the apostles. It wasn't. It was the same prayer shop, right? Um, I want to use this story. Uh, another, oh, let me tell you. Another thing I got uh, ripped off was, was the shake weight. I bought into the shake weight. Remember the shake weight? It was like, <laughs> like you had to... Don't put that on video, Danny. <laughs> Edit that out. But the, the, the shake weight, right? Like, we, we get ripped off, man. And, and, and I want to use that as sort of like an allegory or a metaphor of sorts to explain to us how the enemy works. The enemy will always oversell us and under-deliver us. Always will oversell and under-deliver And so when we're talking in the context of what fulfills me, what brings me life, what brings me hope, what the enemy does is he'll offer you a cheap counterfeit to what God offers you. It's it's cheap products, man. My wife doesn't let me grocery shop anymore because I get cheap products and she hates it. I don't buy Q-tips, I buy T-tips. 
<laughs> I don't. I always get the Dollar General. She wants. She wants Charmin. She wants Bounty, the quicker picker upper. When I, I bought dish soap one time and I found it in the trash, I said, "Babe, why did you throw my dish soap out? It's good dish soap." She said, "Billy, this stuff is freaking water. It's water. It's not real dish soap, right?" Tide, if you watch TV or, or, or straight like Tide's doing this marketing campaign right now where they're like, "Hey, the other detergents are all water. We're, we're legitimate." But I think Satan is described in the scriptures as the, as the deceiver. Jesus calls him a liar. He says, You're, you know no truth because lying isn't just what you do. It's inherent to who you are. You're the, you, you, he tells the people, you're, you're children of your father, the devil. He was a liar from the beginning, and there's no truth inside of him. So what Satan does, he offers, he offers us counterfeits. He offers us cheap products that we think are going to find us fulfillment. Adam and Eve, he said, if you, if you eat, you'll, you'll have this, this sort of fulfillment. He didn't tell them the fact that if you eat, that they would die, right? Like Judas thought that when he betrayed Jesus for 30 shekels of silver, he thought that it was going to fulfill him. It didn't fulfill him. In fact, he threw the silver onto the ground, and then he hung himself. Esau thought that if I trade my blessing for this bowl of chicken noodle soup, then I'll be fulfilled. And what we find out is is he gave up the blessing of God. To his brother. Lot thought that if she looked back to the things of Sodom, then she would be fulfilled. But, but she wasn't. Jonah thought if I do things my own way and I run from God, then I'll be fulfilled. But he wasn't. Satan will always offer cheap counterfeits to what God offers us. So I want to I conclude by talking about, very quickly, three cheap counterfeits the enemy offers us that we buy into, that we think will give us satisfaction one of the key characteristics of the flesh is that it's the desire uh, when you have a desire in the, in the flesh or of the flesh it's oftentimes an uncontrolled desire in other words it's it's a desire that is fleeting that will not fully sustain you that will not fully satisfy you so here's a couple of i think the enemy's uh false products a couple of his $300 prayer shawls I'm going to tell you this so you can identify the schemes of the enemy and that you can walk in victory number one is the lust of the flesh lust of the flesh means a person's uncontrolled desire to experience something that is satisfying to their body it shows up in drugs it shows up in food it shows up in any mind-altering substance that would give you a sense of uh, a euphoric sense an artificial release of serotonin or dopamine in your head right like it's anything that gives my body pleasure i think more often than not the way that lust of the flesh shows up is in sexual appetite it's in sexual appetite. I was listening to this interview with Magic Johnson, and Magic Johnson said uh, there was this time where I was in bed with six women at the same time, and, and he didn't even say it. Like he kind of said, "Like it is what it is." It, it wasn't expre- like with deep shame, with deep remorse, with deep repentance. He just said, "It is what it is." And then I listened to this announcer say, "You know, when when Magic Johnson announced to the world that he had AIDS, it was shocking. It was the most shocking news." I'm like, "Wait, wait a minute." When I, when I go and have sex with multiple prostitutes every single night of my life and I contract a sexually an STD, what is shocking about that? What is mind-boggling about that? What is, right, like, but that's the, that's the, the culture, right? Go in and live in, in sexual sin. Go and live in sexual promiscuity. I would even argue that, that sexuality of, of all the sort of things that the enemy perverts more than any other at this point in culture, at this point in history, he, he perverts sexuality more than any other. 
man, there's pastors that follow this, man. There's leaders in the church that fall from this. Robbie Zacharias, Bill Hybels, Matt Chandler just got back from having a DM with a woman that wasn't his wife, man. Like, pastors fall from this. But this is a, 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 a tactic of the enemy, man. If, if you have this, this, this you think it's going to satisfy you, but I'm telling you this, it will satisfy your flesh for a moment, but in the long term, it will starve your soul, and it will lead you down a path of destruction. The next thing, lust of the eyes. Lust of the eyes is an uncontrolled desire for everything that I see. We see this play in the scripture through the, the Samson, the book of Judges. He tells his parents, go and get Delilah. Why does he want Delilah? He says specifically, she looks good to me. We see this in uh, uh, the Old Testament with David when he sees Bathsheba bathing, man. The lust of the eyes is everything I want. This leads to objectification of women. This leads to rape culture. I, I, I want to go after this thing. And so instead of seeing people, instead of seeing women as respected, instead of seeing women as, as dignified as image bearers of God, I'm going to objectify the heck out of them because of my desire. And when I get what I see, see, Satan already tried this tactic on Jesus because Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. And the first thing that Satan offers Jesus is actually bread. He said, why don't you... Turn these stones, perform a magic trick, Jesus. Turn these stones into bread. Jesus said, man doesn't live by bread alone. You might have you caught Adam and Eve up, but you ain't about to catch me up, devil. He said, turn these stones into bread. Man, have you ever fasted before? I did, I did the Daniel fast for 31 days. I was supposed to go for 40. I, I fell apart. I, I couldn't eat avocados and pistachios and walnuts. And they were unsalted, by the way. Couldn't do it anymore. So one day at Buffalo Wild Wings, I, I broke. Jesus didn't break. Jesus didn't break, man. I made 31 days into the fast. I, I broke. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, they're closely connected. But they're lies. The enemy will tell us what brings satisfaction. So people will spend their whole time. I, I love how the writer of Hebrews puts it. He says that Moses chose suffering with the people of God over the temporary. I love that it says temporary. Moses chose suffering with the people of God over the temporary pleasures of sin. That's what they are, the temporary, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. And the third thing that Satan would use to sell us short is the pride of life. It's, it's our desire for status. It's our desire to feel important, our accomplishments, our rank, our elevation. The Bible says you, you came from dust and you're going to return to dust. You came in this world with nothing, you're going to leave this world with nothing. I work in academia. It's, it's, it's so prominent there, the culture. I got this office on campus, and there was whispering and murmurings. People were mad that I got the good office on campus. Why does he get the good office on campus? You don't understand me, dog. I'll go outside under a tree with my laptop. I don't need the good office on campus. I don't get caught up in all that nonsense because my identity is rooted in Christ. So if I'm the dean of students or if I'm an they, they're always like, oh, Billy, the entry, they, these are the entry-level people. I don't care. You, you think entry-level matters in the kingdom of heaven? Because guess what? You're going to be... You could be Elon Musk, you could be a millionaire, and you could have no status in heaven. You could have no standing in heaven. You can have no citizenship in heaven. I don't concern myself with that stuff. You shouldn't either. Talent, beauty, wealth, accomplishments, rank, elevation. So I want to close with this, man. Um, I think we all, at, at one time in our life, and probably this year, maybe this week, have made this decision to put everything else above seeking the righteousness of God. We've, we've come to the false belief that something that the world offers is more attractive than Jesus and his righteousness. And maybe you don't, don't necessarily believe that 
in your head theoretically, but, but you live it out in the way that you live. And maybe you don't connect it back to your heart. I want to read a final passage of scripture. This is from, again, from the prophet Isaiah. And here's what he says. Come, it's an invitation of sorts. And this is what I want to end with, with an invitation. Isaiah says, come all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money and without cost. And this is the key, this is the key thing that I want to close with. It's a question for all of us. And it's all of us to consider, all of us to reflect on. Here's what Isaiah says. Hey, are you, if, you, if you're chasing these things, lust of the flesh, lust of your eyes, pride of life, if you're, if you're seeking status, if you're seeking fulfillment in these other places, here's what Isaiah has to say about that. He says, why do you spend money on that which is not bread? And why do you labor on that which will never satisfy? Why do you spend money on what is not bread? And you labor on what does not satisfy. I, I, I believe that contentment and fulfillment comes from Jesus. And I believe that you can have an encounter today with Jesus. In fact, we're going to open up this altar. I, I get really, I'll be, have a frank moment of authenticity. I get nervous on altar ministry because I'm like, man, like, I, get, I don't know Jesus. What if they don't come up to the altar? I, I get scared up here, man. But I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit work. And if none of you come up to the altar, that's okay. Because it's the Holy Spirit that's working, not me. Jesus has an encounter with a woman in Samaria. And in his encounter, he tells her to go get her husband. And the woman responds, I don't, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, that's because you've had five husbands. And, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. And she said, it's, you're, it's right, you're a, you're a prophet that story about? It's about someone who's seeking longing and fulfillment and desiring this something. And Jesus says this now. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm living water. And whoever gets, whoever drinks from me, we're never going to Man, have you spent this year seeking things that aren't satisfying to your soul? Things that don't bring nourishment? Things that don't fulfill you? You, you, you go, you, you have the one night stand and it feels good for a moment, but then all of a sudden you feel more empty than ever. You feel more lonely than ever. You feel more depressed than ever. You feel more sad and anxious and hurt than ever. You, you got the promotion. You got the thing you were looking for. And, and it didn't bring you the satisfaction that you thought it would. You, you bought into a lie of the enemy. But here's an opportunity today to, to come up and, and call him out for the liar and deceiver that he is. You don't have to spend another moment of your life seeking out things that aren't going to satisfy your soul. You don't have to spend another moment of your life eating bread that will not nourish you, pursuing passions and pleasures of the world that are, that are feel good but are temporary, that are good for a moment but lead to death and destruction. You don't have to spend another moment. So I'm going to just be quiet in the presence of God. I'll ask Pastor Jonathan to come up here. Thanks for joining us for worship today. I'm John Collier, and I hope today has inspired you to love God and to love others more. We always want to take some time at the end to pray for you, especially if this is the first time of believing that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father, forgive us of our sins. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross and raise again so that he can be king and we don't have to be. 
Help us to learn more about you so we can live more like you. <laughs> we want you to connect with us and we want to connect with you. You can comment down below or go to diversitychurch.net and we'll see you again next week.